So I don't know about you, but <clears throat> there have been times in my life that I've felt like God is so much different from myself that we're almost unrelatable. Um, he's perfect. I'm not. He's super busy with things like holding this world and this whole universe together. I'm just trying to somehow manage my little life that I have, just me and my little family. And he's, he has so much more going on than me. Uh, he has angels in heaven that are before his throne that it's hard for me to even begin to imagine what that really means, what that's like, and how important that is. Then, in addition to that, there's the 8 billion people that are on this earth <clears throat> right now, of which I'm only one. Um, and then there's the billions that have already passed, and they're awaiting Judgment Day, none of which God has forgotten. And when there's so many important things going on, you know, how can I possibly believe that I hold even some small fraction of his attention or his thoughts? <coughs> After all, you know, I'm not a major figure. I'm not the president of the United States. I'm not some big celebrity that has lots of influence over people. Um, just one of those 8 billion people who lives on two acres of grass out of the Earth's 15.7 billion acres of habitable land, I travel my same 20-mile stretch of road to work each day out of the U.S.'s 4.17 million-mile uh, highway network. So like I said, sometimes I feel like I'm so much different from God that we almost seem painfully unrelatable. <clears throat> and I mean, that's true in a way. God is much higher than we are, than man is. Uh, he is perfect, and I'm not. But the Bible makes it clear that God is willing to shorten that distance uh, between us and have a relationship with us. And the closest relationship that any of us, I imagine, are familiar with is that of a family. We often refer to our family as the people that we're related to. They're the people that are the most relatable to us. <clears throat> we share lots of similarities. Family should hold a special bond, a husband and a wife, a parent and a child. And it's that last relationship that I want to focus on uh, in this study, that of a parent and a child. Uh, that's a relationship that all of us can relate to, you know, whether in just one direction as just being a child or whether in both direction as both being a child and also being a parent. Um, some may only have that child's viewpoint so far, but we can all relate to this relationship. When I graduated from college, I began working at a public accounting firm just outside of the city of Nashville. And while I was working one day with one of the managers, he was asking, no, I, I hadn't met him before, so he's asking about me and you know, who I am and what's, what do I have as far as family goes. And so I told him that we were married. That time we didn't have Sam, but we were wanting to have kids. And then naturally I asked him, well, what about you? <clears throat> and he said, well, I'm married. And he said, we're dink. And I had no idea what he just said. And so I said, what? And he said, we're dink. And I'm sure, just like some of you, I had a very confused look on my face of what he was trying to tell me. So he said, do you not know what that means? I said, no, I have no idea what that means. And he said, well, DINK is an abbreviation, and it stands for dual income, no kids. So as I sat there and processed what he was telling me, um, I finally started to realize that what he was telling me is both he and his wife had good paying jobs, and they didn't have anyone to spend all that money on other than themselves. They could afford what they wanted. They could go wherever they wanted. They didn't have to coordinate vacations around kids' school and their meals and potty breaks and all this kind of stuff. They were living the dream. So let me stop right here and say I'm not condemning him or them in any way whatsoever. Uh, there's a lot of people that choose not to have kids or are unable to have kids, and I don't know of anything that's inherently wrong with that. And I'm sure at times that that choice can make life more convenient. 
a bit easier. But I do think there are benefits to parenthood, especially from a spiritual perspective. There are some insights that you get um, from this parent-child relationship uh, that help in some small way to try to understand God's relationship with us and you know, how he views us as his children. So thinking about our relationship with our parents and or with our children as it relates to God's relationship with us can help make that distance between ourselves and God seem shorter. And these, what seems to be at times glaring differences between God and me, thinking about us all in this perspective of a family <clears throat> can help us to not seem so different. So that's my hope for this study is that it will draw us closer to God through consideration of some of the similarities we have between God's relationship with us and our relationship uh, with our parents or with our children. So uh, one of the things that we often notice first about people who are in the same family is how much they resemble each other. And I'll always remember one summer, I was working at Frito-Lay in a temporary summer position. So that's where dad works. Uh, mom worked there before uh, they had kids, me and Jonathan. Um, so I was working there during the summer in a temporary position when I was around high school age. And one day I was just walking through the plant and somebody that I'd never met in my life just walked up to me and said, you're Suzanne Owens' boy. And I said, yes, I am. And they said, yep, you look just like her. And they walked off. And I thought, how crazy is it that of, out of all the people that this person has seen in their life, all the people in Pulaski, all the people in Lawrenceburg, all the people in Frito-Lay, I just happened to walk by them and they know immediately that I'm a child of Suzanne Owens. She hadn't even worked there at decades. In that point, I, mean, I was a teenager. But we understand from scriptures that we're made in the image of God. It's one of the first things that we understand from the Bible, seeing as how it's communicated in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Uh, there it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over all the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So just like we're made in the image of our parents, uh, we, mankind as a whole, are made in the image of God. Paul also wrote in Corinthians, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, when talking about the order of authority, he said, For man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. Now, I can't tell you exactly what God looks like, uh, but this takes on a spiritual aspect as well. We have eternal souls. Uh, we share a resemblance to God. We were made in his image. Uh, when we're kids, we can sometimes find that annoying, that especially I would imagine if you were a twin, identical twin, something like that would probably be uh, very frustrating. Uh, somebody might would say when I was a kid, well, I mean, you look just like your brother. You look just like your mama or daddy or, or whatever. And a lot of times, especially in this country, we want to be independent. Uh, we want to be seen as our own person. I don't want to be seen as somebody who you know only because of what resemblance I have to somebody else. I want you to see me for who I am. Um, but that changes you know, a bit as you get older and especially uh, when you become a parent. Uh, when you look at your own children and you see their resemblance to yourself when you were younger, uh, it draws you nearer to them. It gives you compassion towards them. puts a smile on your face. And I imagine that the same is true for God when he looks at us. We're not just another creation like an ant or a dog or a bird. We're, we're the creation that's made in his image. And we're supposed to be working each day so that we look more and more like him. Um, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, speaking of the benefits of the clarity of the gospel, uh, 
that we get to look into now in the New Testament era versus what they had in the Old Testament. He said, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we are made in God's image, and we should be looking more and more like him every day. So that's one similarity that we have with God and our relationship with our families and our relationship with God. Also, when we're born, we're powerless. We're weak. We're vulnerable. Uh, we lack knowledge. We lack strength. We're helpless without our parents. And parents understand this very well. As soon as that baby's born, um, the parent becomes very busy. Um, there are needs that have to be attended to constantly. The baby can't do a single thing for itself. It can't go get itself something to eat. It can't go get itself something to drink. It can't change itself. It can't wipe itself. It can't do anything except cry, and that it can do very well. And it cries when it needs something, and it needs something every five minutes. So it can be exhausting. Well, here's our second parallel. We're helpless without God. We wouldn't exist apart from God. And one of the verses that Brother James mentioned uh, this morning in his lesson was Acts chapter 17 and verse 28. Uh, where it says, for in him we live and move and exist. You know, we're helpless. God is the one who gives us breath as we live, as we read in Job chapter 12 and verse 10. Uh, speaking of God, we read the rhetorical question, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? So obviously, that's God. And not only has God given us the breath to get us started, uh, he has also given us this wonderful autonomic nervous system that we're all blessed with. Uh, he knows that even when we're in our prime of life, uh, we're going to struggle to do two things at once. So he takes care of the most important things for us. We don't have to make our heart beat. We don't have to make our stomach digest food. We don't have to make our diaphragm like, consciously uh, expand and contract our lungs. He takes care of the big stuff for us, and he just kind of makes that happen, and we can focus on other things. And... He provides us what we need, and he's not going anywhere. Uh, we often become afraid that he's not going to get what we need to us in time, so we get upset and we cry about it, just like our babies do. Um, but God sees our needs, and, you know, when our kids are more helpless when they're babies, it's a tough time as a parent, but it's a time that bonds us with our children. You can't invest that much in something and not have a bond to it. Um, and God invests heavily in us. And just like our parents supply our needs, Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33, said, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have, that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So also from a spiritual standpoint of being helpless without the help of God. Jesus spoke in John chapter 15 verses 4 and 5 saying, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. So we need the Lord and just as a very young child is, uh, without the Lord, we're helpless. So when we're born, we're much more fragile, and we have to have things tailored to our lack of maturity for a time. 
Now when Sam and Eva June were born, we didn't automatically start cooking them eggs and toast and bacon for breakfast in the morning and chicken pot pie for supper at night. They had to have milk. They didn't have teeth, and even if we could have gotten eggs and toast down them, it wouldn't have supplied what they needed nutritionally at that point in their lives. Well, God is attentive to our needs and to our maturity. And the great thing about God's Word is that it contains many layers of truth that we can all benefit from. On day one, when we come to the knowledge of God and the gospel, and we see His Word as being true and worthy uh, to be studied and to conform to, we're not really ready yet to handle everything it contains. We're still immature at that point. And like Peter mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, as newborn babes sincere or desire the sincere milk of the word uh, that you may grow thereby. However, if we grow as we ought to, then eventually uh, we should reach the point where we can progress beyond milk. So the Hebrew writer, we remember, was scolding his audience in Hebrews chapter 5 verses 12 and 13 where he said for though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracle of God and you have come to need milk and not solid food for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a babe so it is with us and God's eyes very similar to how we see our children there's milk and there's meat so, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know, that's milk. It's the foundation of our faith. It's God loves us, and God loves us so much that he gave his only son, uh, that whosoever believes in him can have eternal life with him. And that's the place for a babe in Christ to start. On the other hand, we get into pas passages such as, you know, Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 13, where Paul writes, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So Paul's twisty-turny way of writing and his deeper concepts that he gets into can be challenging. You know, that's not what we think of when we're thinking of milk in God's word. Um, and even those who are more mature in their faith have plenty of passages that they can really sit and chew on for days and months and years. And the great thing about God's Word is it never loses its flavor. Uh, you or I can get a piece of chewing gum and you pop it in your mouth and for the first few minutes you think, this is great. And then after about five minutes you think, this is disgusting. I, don't even, I can't even realize what I'm, I don't recognize what I'm chewing on anymore. It's just not the same. It's, it's gross. Um, but it's not that way with God's Word. On the contrary, it gets better the more that we chew on it. And this is why Paul makes the exclamation in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So God looks on us who are made in his image, knowing that we're weak and that it will take some time for us to mature. And he's sure to provide what we need so that we can mature healthily and fully, just like we adjust the diet of our children as they mature. 
But in the early years of a child's life, you know, it's, it's all about just keeping them alive, just trying to keep them breathing. Um, they finally sleep through the night for the first time, and after months and months of being up every few hours with them, you open your eyes with your head on your pillow and you realize the sun's up. And you jump out of bed in a panic and you run to your kid's room and you fling the door open and you kneel down by the side of the bed holding your breath so that maybe you can hear theirs while you're saying a quick prayer that they're okay. And then you realize everything is okay and you breathe an enormous sigh of relief. It's tough in those days, but once those days pass, as a parent, your concern shifts more towards molding and guiding that kid's personality more than it is just keeping them alive. You know, they're not going to grow up and be functional and successful. And by successful, I don't necessarily mean by their finances, uh, but just success in general. And they're not going to grow up and be successful if they aren't taught the right morals and the right values. And that's our responsibility as parents. And God, being our father, fills that role for each one of us as well. The message that Moses delivered uh, to the parents in his day are just as applicable today uh, to us. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So we as parents have a huge responsibility to work towards the maturation of the minds of our children. <clears throat> in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, uh, Solomon implores those who are young, saying, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. And just as we instruct our children, we do so according to the instruction that God has given us, or we should. And Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So our ability to properly instruct our children comes from our own adherence to the instruction that God has given us. And God instructs us, as we know, through his word, the Bible. And 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul wrote to Timothy, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God guides us through his word, but just as we don't expect our children will never make a mistake, God knows that we're not going to get everything down perfectly the first time that we take a shot at it. <clears throat> And once we begin offering guidance to our kids, you know, setting up rules, setting up boundaries, then they have the opportunity to begin to break the rules. And this is what Paul was communicating to the Romans in chapter 7 that we were just reading a moment ago. Once our kids disobey, then there are negative consequences. And whether those consequences are immediate and a direct result of their disobedience such as if your kid's jumping on the bed and you say, don't jump on the bed, and they continue to jump on the bed, fall off and bang their head, well, there's a negative consequence. Or whether it's uh, not quite so sudden, maybe it's we just notice and then we spank them for it, or we take a toy away or something else or ground them, whatever it may be, uh, to try to help teach them the hard way if they're not going to do it the easy way by just listening and obeying. <clears throat> we find in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 23, the proverb states, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. 
So discipline isn't or shouldn't be mean or hateful. It's a showing of love and concern if administered properly, even if it's not perceived that way by the child at the time. Eliphaz the Timonite that we read of in Job may have not gotten everything right in his debate with Job, uh, but I think his words in Job chapter 5 and verse 17 are good. He said to Job, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore do not despise the chastening of the Almighty, for he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. So sometimes God may allow us to endure affliction or poor circumstances for our own benefit. If we will keep our heads and during that not lose our faith, then we can come out on the other side more pleasing to him. Uh, God's chastisement isn't an end of itself. It's intended to help us and to allow us to grow. So unfortunately, disobedience doesn't only hurt the disobeyer, it hurts the disobeyed as well. <clears throat> That's one thing I didn't really understand so much before I had kids. As a parent, you have very high hopes for your kids because we see lots of potential in our kids. We see what they're capable of, uh, what they could be if they would just take instruction and if they would be disciplined and if they would obey, uh, do good things. And we try so hard to do what's best for them. And when they disobey, many times it hurts the parent more than it hurts the child. And I can't pass this without telling a story from my childhood. So it used to drive me crazy. So I got my fair share of spankings when I was a kid. And whenever we would be about to get spanked, I believe it, it must have been mom, because I can imagine dad saying this. But I would be in the room, and of course, when you're spanking your kid, you don't want them sticking their hands back there and getting their hands hit. So first, it was put your hands on the bed. So put my hands on the bed and wait for it to come. And then would say, this hurts me more than it's going to hurt you. And I thought, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. This is definitely going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I'm going to be on fire for like five minutes after this, and you're going to just go back about your day. But... I realize now, being a parent, that that wasn't as ridiculous as I thought it was. Um, the consequences that come from sin don't only affect uh, the one who disobeyed. And I believe that God shares this same feeling with us as parents. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 suggests that our disobedience grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Peter wrote some wise words in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 19 and 20 said, for this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So I believe Peter was probably speaking, you know, from experience here. He's saying it's a lot better for you to suffer for doing good because God's going to count that to you or towards you like as righteousness. But if you're just suffering consequences for your poor behavior, that's not counted as righteousness. You're just reaping what you sowed there. Uh, disobedience pains both the disobeyer and the disobeyed. But on the other hand, there's no better feeling for a parent than when a child steps out in faith and just obeys what's been asked of them and is respectful about it and has a positive attitude. Uh, just lifts a weight off of a parent's shoulders. Uh, it's a very pleasing thing. You feel appreciated, you feel like you've been respected, and you feel like you're making progress. And maybe maybe I'm not failing this kid. Maybe I'm getting through, and maybe 
I'm going to be able to help them be this great person that I know they can be. And it makes you look forward to rewarding your child sometime in the near future uh, whenever they're being obedient. The writer of Hebrews wrote in chapter 13, verse 16, But do not forget to do good and share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So just like we as parents are pleased when our children obey us and make good decisions, God is pleased when we show our love for Him through obedience and behaving how He is instructed. And as our children grow, uh, they're able to overcome more and more challenges on their own. They're able to defend themselves and take up for themselves more and more. But as they grow, there's still protection that we offer them from time to time. Uh, if you're walking around the block and the neighborhood dog comes up and it's growling and foaming at the mouth and barking and everything, and suddenly it acts like it's going to lunge toward your 60-year-old child <clears throat> or something, you realize this is too much of a challenge for my kid. So I'm going to step in and I'm going to do what I need to do to protect my child from this adversary. And God sees us as we grow and he understands exactly what challenges we're capable of withstanding and which ones that we're still not mature enough for yet and which ones we're going to need some help with. And David wrote about God's protection in Psalm chapter 18 verses 2 and 3 where he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength, and whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Now, God has promised that He'll never challenge us or allow us to be challenged with more than we can handle. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Uh, we will all or He will always extend His hand to save us from such a situation. It's just up to us whether or not we will reach out and we will take hold of our Father's hand. So now I'm starting to get into some areas of parenthood that I'm going to draw some similarities to, but I don't have quite as much experience with. So if I don't crystallize these as good as it could be, older parents, please forgive me for that, but I'll do my best. So an aspect of parenthood that is both exciting and terrifying is letting go. So as of this year, Eva June's getting to go to a little preschool for a few hours one day a week, and Sam is in first grade. Uh, puts more responsibility on their shoulders when they get away from mom and dad for a while. They know mom and dad aren't looking, and they get to make decisions about how they're going to act without mom and dad's direct supervision. But that's part of the relationship. <clears throat> if we micromanage everything that our children ever do, they're never going to mature properly. If you're still tying your kids' shoes when they're 18 years old, there's a 99% chance that you've not parented properly. Part of training our children is taking a step back, and then another step back, and then another step back, until they're functional adults and they head out into the world on their own to live their lives the way that they decide to be best at that point. Uh, we as parents don't, and we shouldn't want to, tell our kids what to do for the rest of their lives. We give them the information that we think is the most important, uh, the most crucial for their success, and we try to instill those values in them. But when the time comes to let go from that point, it's their choice, and that's the responsibility of a parent to eventually let go. Well, our relationship with God is similar. Uh, he provides teaching to guide our thinking, our behavior, our morals, our words, but ultimately God lets go. And even though he knows what's right, he doesn't force us to do what's right. Just like we don't force our children to do what's right all the time. It's not because we don't love our children. 
It's because we do love him. We have a choice in what direction we take in life. Joshua proclaimed his choice in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15 where he told Israel, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And just like our children will live with the consequences of their actions, God allows us to live with the consequences of our actions. And this has been true since the beginning of creation. As we read in Genesis chapter 2, God gave instruction and all the instruction that Adam and Eve needed. They understood it and he sent them out. He didn't allow them to be challenged with more than what they could have handled. He gave them the freedom to make their own decisions. You know, our children, they may leave our homes at 18 years old and choose to never see us or call us again. And that's not what any good parent wants. And that parent, I'm sure, would do whatever they could to change that child's mind. But ultimately, they're going to make their own decisions. And similarly, if the decision that we make is to walk away from God, He isn't going to force us to return to Him. He will long for us to change our minds, but He won't force us. And just like with us, it's not because He doesn't love us. Just like it's not because we don't love our kids, it's because He does love us. And he's loved us so much that he's given us free will so that we can, you know, live this life instead of it being lived for us. You know, it's one thing for a child to be at home with their parents when they're not yet an adult. But it's another thing for a child to come home when they're an adult. A child has no choice when they're young to go somewhere else and not spend time at home. They can't go anywhere else. They can't go out and drive yet. So they do what mom and dad, what they do. Uh, but when that child becomes an adult, then they can choose a million other things to do besides go home and spend time with their parents. They can choose not to seek their parents' advice anymore. They can choose to seek someone else's. So when that child returns home, you know, just to visit, not to mooch off of their parents, not to look for some kind of a handout, but when that child returns home and deliberately spends time with his or her parents, that means a lot to the parent. It's confirmation that the child does appreciate the things that that parent did for them throughout their life. It's confirmation that the child respects the parent and enjoys spending time with them and hearing about what's important to them, what's going on with them, and to share with their parents what's going on in their life. The good things, the bad things, to show mom and dad that they're not old news, they're not a burden, they're not an obligation, but they're a blessing. And God wants us to keep in touch with Him. <clears throat> Paul encouraged in his first letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God wants to hear from you and me. He wants us to spend time with Him, uh, just to visit, not to mooch off of Him, not just looking for a handout every time and just being selfish, but because He wants us to spend to spend time with him because we genuinely care for him. We genuinely respect him. Uh, we understand from these verses that God wants us to pray regularly. He already knows what's going on with us, but he wants to hear about it from us. Uh, he wants to hear about the good things. He wants to hear about the bad things. Uh, he wants to know when we need help. He wants to talk to us when he thinks uh, about what he thinks is important for us to know. Uh, he still has a lot of teaching left that can benefit us if we will listen to his words. As we read in Psalm chapter 119 and verse 105, God's word provides the lamp for our feet. And as long as we're walking through this life, 
We need that lamp. If you've been walking in the dark over twisting uh, rocky terrain for miles with your lamp with no problem, that changes as soon as you turn the lamp off. If you've been studying God's Word for decades, and if you've been, you feel like you've been having success as a Christian, if you turn that lamp off and don't seek instruction anymore, you're very likely to stumble. God loves when we spend time with Him out of respect for Him and out of genuine desire to be near Him, just like our parents do, and just like we do as parents. Uh, he wants to know uh, that we don't think He's old news or a burden or an obligation that we grudgingly deal with. And finally, the capstone of parenthood, grandchildren. So like I said, I don't have experience here yet, so if I don't justify this, I'm sorry. But it's obvious to me from observation of those who have long been parents that grandchildren are one of life's greatest joys. Uh, there's another addition to the family, a sign that your child is hopefully in a healthy marriage at this point. They're settled, they're mature, and this is where they will hopefully pass down the instruction and the values uh, that you worked so hard to instill in them. This is your chance to enjoy watching them come to the realization of everything you went through to bring them into this world and to help them when they were helpless, to feed them, to guide them, to teach them, to discipline them, to protect them. You get to watch them experience firsthand how painful it is when a child you love disobeys, but then you get to see how happy and excited they are when their children take their advice and they act properly and they make them proud. You get to hear about how difficult it is, yet exciting to loosen the reins and for, to see their child become more independent. Then both you and your children watch in anticipation once that grandbaby has grown to see if he or she will stay in touch, if they will see you as a blessing and not as a burden when they get older, if they will continue to show love for you. And God, <clears throat> our Father, is in a similar position. <clears throat> God wants us to bring more children into his family. Jesus' great commission to his disciples instructed them to go themselves and to make disciples of all nations in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. He wants to see us in healthy marriages, living our lives, adhering to the instruction that he's given us. He wants to watch as we get some small glimpse of the things that he goes through in his care for and raising of us to maturity. We get a small glimpse of the concern that he has for us when we're allowed to make our own decisions. We get a small glimpse of the pain it causes him when we disobey and the great joy and pride that it brings to him when we step out in faith and we obey and we live our lives properly and we bring more children into his family. And hopefully, through all those experiences, it draws us closer to him out of love and respect. And we understand that as different as we may seem at times, we're still very much relatable to one another, we and God. Uh, we are made in his image. We're his children. He doesn't forget about us. He doesn't stop caring. He doesn't get too busy. Uh, he doesn't stop looking for us to show up on the horizon coming to pay him a visit. He doesn't stop looking forward to hearing about how our day went. He's always the same. He's the perfect father, and we're part of his family. So I hope this study has been an encouragement to you. Uh, this topic was recommended to me by Kaylee, so if it was of use to you, you can thank her, and if it wasn't, then you can thank her. Um, well, we never want to close the service without first offering the invitation. So if you haven't made the choice yet to obey the gospel and to become a member of God's great family in Christ, then we would certainly encourage you to make the decision to do that. Or if you already have become part of the family, uh, but maybe you're in the shoes of the prodigal son that we read about in scripture, and maybe for a time you've turned your back 
on God and taken for granted uh, the love and the grace that he's shown to you, then God, being the perfect father he is, is watching and waiting for your return. So if you're in this situation, we would encourage you to renew your commitment to him as well. But in either case, if we can be of assistance to you, then please come forward as we stand and sing.